Hey, it's Jackie, and I'm going to take a pause on our series on friendship because I wanted to bring to you a conversation I had with this woman um, named Daniel Zapchunk, who is a minister up in the Chicago area. She invited me on her podcast called The Parable Podcast, and it's there that I had a conversation about a time in my life where I wondered if what I had given my life to mattered. And I suspect that's a question that we all ask ourselves at one time or another. So I hope that you enjoy it, and more than anything, you find encouragement that what you are giving your life to does matter. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, I'm excited to welcome the Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese to the Parable Podcast. Jackie, I was able to see you chat a little bit at a women's conference a couple of months ago, and I just thought you had such humor <laughs> and such heart <laughs> that you brought to the stage. I just really wanted to know more. So thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really yeah. glad to do that. I, I know we hung out in Chicago. <laughs> I know. It's a good conference. <laughs> now, you are home base is Texas, but you have grown up in New York. So I'd love to know what are two things that you love about New York that you miss? And what have you grown to love about Texas? So that's pretty easy for me. New York, it's the bluntness and the sarcasm I miss. <laughs> and when I got down here, people apologize to me all the time. You know, I'm yeah. so sorry. Did I say something? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not offended. I don't even know what I should be offended about, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's just, I, I miss the sarcasm. I spend my summers in New York and, and I, whenever I get home, I go, ah, okay, mm-hmm. there we go. Nobody's tiptoe. You know, you can say things yeah. bluntly and nobody's offended. And so I really, really love that, especially as a woman in Texas. The Southern culture is, is present here. So, and mm-hmm. um, Texas, what do I love about Texas? There, there are three states in the United States that have attitudes, Californians, New Yorkers, and Texans. They yeah. all think, why would you live anywhere else? <laughs> and Texans definitely have that sense of they have arrived in the best culture in the country. And they do have great food, tacos and barbecue, big, huge sunsets. So I find that interesting that there are just like those three states. And Texas has always been one of them for me. Just like, don't mess with Texas. I don't mean, mess. They are, I mean, they are proud. <laughs> so now I've lived in two out of the three. What does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Jackie, uh, you are the founder and president of the Marcello Project, which is a ministry that is committed to women through teaching of God's word. I'd love to know, were there women that were in your life growing up that really modeled that for you? Yes. Yeah, so I would not say growing up, I didn't grow up mm-hmm. in a Christian home. And so I didn't see a lot of that concept wrapped around Christianity. I should yeah. say that. 
my mother was an amazing, is an amazing woman and was an amazing mother. And she championed me. Yeah. She never asked me to be something I wasn't. I, I am nothing like my mother. I don't dress like her. I don't eat like her. I, I don't think like her. She's very, very ladylike. She's very beautiful and uh, delicate and creates beauty and is patient and kind and gentle. And, and I'm nothing like her. And what I love is that growing up, she never tried to make me her as if yeah. that was the model of womanhood for her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate she gave me a lot of freedom to be who I was mm-hmm. and to find out who I was. But I would say theologically, when it came to women in the, in the faith community, there's two women Vicki Craft was the first Bible teacher I ever had in Texas. I became a Christian and moved to Texas to go to seminary. Somebody should have told me just to go to church, but I I didn't know that. So I went to seminary. It was a lot more expensive. Um, And uh, so she was my first Bible study teacher. And she was from New York. And uh, she was very blunt. And I thought, aren't you funny, Jesus, that you would give me a woman to teach me the Bible who speaks my language? who speaks my culture, you know, and she was such a strong advocate for women and way ahead of her time in in doing so. And then I would also say Jill Briscoe. She just many times saved me. There wasn't Mm. a lot of examples when I was growing up in the faith of women and men in ministry. So both my husband and I were in full-time ministry and I didn't have that example Mm -hmm. of a husband and wife doing it in the evangelical community. And so she would say things to me that just kept me running in the race. Mm. So that was in my 20s, 20s and 30s. So Jill and Stuart kind of helped the church that I went to and I grew up in Wisconsin. They kind of helped lead that church and just kind of gave them perspective of what church should look like. And so growing up, I've heard them speak so much. And I just remember her saying all the time, she doesn't like traveling. And so she's just like, but this is what God has called me to do. And so just, she's so sweet. She just knows what she's talking about. So yeah, she's wise. She's very, very wise. wise. Yeah. Yeah. She called me. I was the first female preacher at our church and Mm. uh, that caused a firestorm Mm. in the media and we had it's on TV and I had to have a bodyguard. And she called me from London that morning before I preached. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm sure I've done my work. And she said, you have to be sure Mm -hmm. or you won't be anchored. And she meant sure with Jesus. Like, are Mm -hmm. you and Jesus good? And then she gave me some other really helpful nuggets for how to proceed underneath that kind of pressure being the first Mm -hmm. one out. And she knew everything about that. What a gift to have people like that in your life. Yeah. (laughs) That really can walk alongside you. That's beautiful. Jackie, I'd be curious to know, so you said you didn't grow up in a Christian home. So what was that marker or transition in your life to say, instead of going to church, you went to seminary. What happened in your life during that time? It wasn't like a big event happened so mm-hmm. much as, oh, I had a friend mm-hmm. in college who was a high school friend. We were we went to college near each other and mm-hmm. he came to faith. I drove us back and forth from North Carolina to New York because I had the car and he would always tell me things about this Jesus guy. And it was just like, I don't get it. And I would go to the bars on Saturday night, you know, and Sunday morning he'd show up at my house to chit chat and I'd had stale beer breath. And I think the thing that won me was, there was no judgment. He wasn't yeah. trying to convert me. He was mm-hmm. just loving me like the friend yeah. he'd always been. Mm-hmm. And so I think him kind of sharing, sprinkling that about in mm-hmm. the couple years, I 
went to bed one night and thought about what he said. And then I started listing all the things that I had tried to fill the hole. And I said, and this was my conversion statement. This is how little of theology I knew. I said, well, Jesus, they tell me you're, you're it. So I'll give you a shot. As if like, <laughs> if you don't work, I'm giving you back. <laughs> So, and that was that it was, you know, I didn't have any mentors at the time Mm -hmm. and I knew I wanted to get serious about Jesus. And so nobody said to me, Hey, go to BSF or go to a Bible study or go to church. Mm -hmm. And so I went to seminary. Wow. Wow. Literally did not know any of the books of the Bible or (laughs) any stories in the Bible. And I showed up in seminary. Well, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we <laughs> we think about, you know, the disciples. They didn't know anything either. It's so good and comforting to know that we can just to come to Jesus as we are. And he's going to do the rest, whether that's through seminary or leading other people into our lives. And it's beautiful. It's just, it can be authentic and natural and just organic. And I love that. Yeah. And I think... I remember reading my Bible at that time, and I stopped reading because I thought I heard the Spirit, although at the time I didn't know there was a Spirit or it was the Spirit, but I I thought I heard this internal voice say, you need to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. And I knew that wasn't me because I didn't even know what seminary was. And I, you know, so my husband said to me, you're not reading your Bible anymore. And I was like, well, because I keep hearing this thing about going to seminary, which I laugh now, like as if you shut the Bible, you can't hear God, you know, just (laughs) Close it, close it. He's contained in the book, you know? Um, And so I didn't know anything. And, Mm -hmm. And what I think is beautiful, and I think in my older years... I am coming back to that. I'm I'm over theologically educated and I'm coming back to that younger phase of what does it look like to trust that God can speak to you and God is moving even when you know nothing about him. The more simplicity. Mm -hmm. There was no conversation between Jesus and I at the time about atonement or eschatology or pneumonology. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was sweet. He he can speak to us. He he can help yeah. us go where we need to go. Absolutely. Well, Jackie, I'm sure that you have many parable stories, but what is one that you would like to share with us today? Okay, so I literally am going to walk us through a parable, but yeah. before I do, I want to say why this parable really matters to me. Yeah. So I have three children. At mm-hmm. this stage, they are 32, 30, and 29. And I want to say, and this may be a shocker, but I never wanted to be a mother. Mm-hmm. I did not care to be a mother. I'm all for mothers. I am one and I'm not going to kill my kids or give them back or anything, but I never wanted to mother. My husband and I traveled the country in a van about two and a half years into our marriage. And I got pregnant in that van because, you know, there's not a lot to do. And so, (laughs) but I didn't know I was pregnant because I actually get my period while I'm pregnant and I don't gain weight very much. Maybe I know it's it's the only time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I can gain 19 pounds is what I gained, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. Anyway, so I didn't know I was pregnant for four months. Mm -hmm. And so along comes, finally at four months, I realized, oh, something's wrong. I'm pregnant. Now I'm a mother. And I didn't want an only child. So there we are. Now I have three children. So I have three children and I never really wanted to be a mother. And to be honest with you, I'm not really gifted to mother very well. Mm. Um, I think I've done an excellent job. And I think my kids would say that. But it didn't come natural for me as it Mm. does for some. Um, it was really hard for me. And so I had to discipline myself to mother well. I understood the gravity of raising human beings, let alone raise human beings on behalf of Jesus. 
And so I did, uh, you know, the cloth diapers, the homemade food, the no hormone thing long before it was cool. <laughs> it's a very cool thing now. I'm like, yeah, we call that farming. We've been, People have been doing it around the world for a long time. I hate crafts. I don't like to do crafts, but every day we did a craft. You know, I made sure they were on a sleeping schedule. We didn't have a lot of money. And mm-hmm. so there was never a babysitter. There was no going to get my nails done. I didn't go hang out with friends. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a TV for several yeah. years because I didn't want to use it as a substitute for parenting, which by the way, all of you out there using the TV or the iPads, fine. No judgment <laughs> here. Do whatever you have to do to survive. <laughs> but just for me. So the point I'm trying to make is that as a mom, I made choices and in many ways took the back seat to mm-hmm. taking care of myself in order to raise my kids, right? Money yeah. came in, it was to take care of them first, just like most moms, right? Mm-hmm. So I say all that because when my daughter was in college, uh, she came home and said to me one day that she resented that we mm-hmm. raised her in the faith and that she felt like we were brainwashing her. And I got to say this, I give my daughter and my kids, all three of my kids, a lot of credit here that they feel comfortable to have those conversations. She didn't say it nasty. She didn't say it ugly. She was just, we were having a conversation and she needed her mother to know this is how she felt at that Mm -hmm. time. But it was really painful to hear Yeah, because I have sacrificed a lot Mm -hmm. to mother and Mm -hmm. a lot to raise them in the faith. And so a couple days later, I went to my boys and I said to them, hey, Madison has said this. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel the same way? And the room went dead silent, wow. like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oof, you know, it's that pit in the stomach. So for the next couple of weeks, I was really kind of angry. Mm-hmm. I vacillated between, yeah. like, I'm really mad, you ungrateful little brats, right? That was what I was thinking. And then there was a fear of, oh, my God, did I mess them up to I'm a, I'm a complete failure. Mm-hmm. I will have not done well if I have led other people close to faith yeah. and not my own, right? Yeah. And so I was vacillating in this. And the reason this is so important to me is because I think many times in life, whether it's mm-hmm. how we spent our work life, whether it's the relationships we've been in, whether it's parenting, mm-hmm. we have a time in our life, if not multiple times, where we say, did what I give my life to really matter? And that's a really devastating, heart-wrenching question to have, a soul-searching question mm-hmm. to have to ask. Did my life, what I gave my life to, did it matter? Mm-hmm. And what if it didn't? What if it, it was meaningless, as yeah. Solomon says, you know? Mm-hmm. I like what the prophet Isaiah says in 49.9. He says, my work all seems useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. And that's exactly where I was. And that's when I was digging into this parable, to be honest with you. This is where Jesus goes with me and starts Mm -hmm. saying, let's talk about reality and how it sits in scripture. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be working through Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And so there's a parable in there about the Mm -hmm. sower and the seed. It's also in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to probably go back and forth and toggle between the two of them we all know this parable, right? You know, Mm -hmm. the farmer throws the seed and it goes on the rock and then it doesn't, it welts and the bird, the demons take it, you know, the bird takes it and and Mm -hmm. some, you know, flourish, right? And so I'm reading that 
but I'm, I'm training myself for the first time to try to read scripture and see the women in the story. Mm. So I want to back up before I go to what the point to that story was for me and what I think it is for all of us who sometimes wonder, does what I've given my life to matter? And I want to back up because usually when we think about that parable or when we hear people teach on that parable, they forget to mention that the women are there, that True. they are part yeah. of this group of disciples that are hanging out with Jesus. And so when Jesus instructs them about this parable and what it means and what it means for us too, they're a part of it. They're hearing it. It applies to their life also. So in Luke 8, 1 through 3, we have this list of women mentioned. And I'm going to point that out because I care about the women in Mm -hmm. scripture. I care about women. (laughs) I want a noble women. And I want women to start seeing themselves in the Mm -hmm. scriptures. We need to look for the women. And they're there. They're everywhere. When we think of the Last Supper, we should picture women there. They were Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And so in this story in Luke Eight, one through three, we have the mention of Mary Magdalene, which is actually Mary Magdala, Mary of Magdala. Luke's telling us where Mary is from. Her last name is not Magdalene. It's where she's from, which I think is interesting because yeah. by the way, here, I'm going to go do a little teaching. Can't help it. I'm a preacher. I love it. Go. Which, which by the way, he mentions her where she's from and she's from the Galilee, which tells us that Mary Magdalene has been with Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. Mm -hmm. And if we look at John chapter 20, she's also there at the end. So for the three years, Mm -hmm. Mary has been hanging out with Jesus for three years. So he mentions that. So we have Mary Magdalene. We have Joanna, right, Mm -hmm. which is Cusa's wife. And of course, he belongs to Herod's wealthy elite circle. And so I always think of her and think, wow, she must have had to really like I mean, she's with the elites, right? Yeah. He's like a part of the West Wing in the Oval <laughs> Office. Yeah. And so she hangs out with the people, you know, yeah. the president's wife is who she's hanging out with. And what it must have been for her mm-hmm. to choose to follow Jesus, Yeah. right? Like the gulf of status she would have had to give up and, and let go of to choose Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then we have Susanna, which he says nothing about her, which means probably that she was so well known that there was no mm-hmm. need to give any statement about her. So Jesus is with the 12 and a group of people, and he tells this parable, right, of the sowing of the seed. And often we've heard that as an evangelical or no, evangelistic message, right? Mm -hmm. That you need to go out and spread the word of God. There there is people who are going to, you know, they're not going to listen to the word of God. They've got a hard heart. They're not going to embrace it. And so I'm playing around in this parable at the same time that I'm toggling between Mm. being angry as hell at my kids and fearing that I have lost them, you know, forever. And I have been a complete failure. And I realize that what Jesus is doing in this parable is what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And that is, he's explaining, he says the parable to everybody, but then he goes and he quietly explains it to the disciples, including the women. Mm-hmm. They're there, right? And I want to read what he says. It says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and when the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that falls among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desires of other things, and no fruit is produced. 
And then he says, and then the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest. And here's the most important thing that Jesus wanted to say to me. Mm-hmm. And produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's what I want to say that I think this was what God was teaching me was Jesus is about to leave the disciples. Mm-hmm. And they're going to wonder the same thing I wondered. Did I give my life to anything that mattered? It's going to get costly. They're going to die a martyr's life. They're not going to know whether there was any benefit, any fruit, right? So actually, Jesus gives this parable to encourage us, those of us asking this very question. Mm -hmm. And what he says is, hey, even when some of your stuff falls on weeds and some of your stuff gets eaten and some of the stuff you offer wilts, even when, and by the way, that will happen, you will produce a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times full. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because in Palestine, the average far- the farmer yielded a crop between four or five. So think okay. about what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. It's astronomical. And I take that to him saying to me, I promise you, Jackie, even if you can't see Mm -hmm. it, there will be fruit. There will be kingdom fruit because, right, Mm -hmm. all the parables are about kingdom. There will be kingdom fruit even when you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And this is what he's encouraging the disciples. And this is what I heard. Like, come on, Jackie, you may never see the Mm -mm. fruit of what you labored with your children. You may die never seeing the fruit. But it's not for naught. You know how I know? He -hmm. says... 30, 60, 100. And he says that to encourage us. It's actually more of a message to encourage those who are discouraged than it is about, you know, telling people about Jesus. And I think about this. Peter died a martyr and never knew. And I think about Ruth and Naomi. They lived decades of hardship, never knowing whether their life ever mattered. Mm-hmm. if this was for anything. And then finally they get a baby and that's like a yay, right? That's like a big deal, but they died there. Yeah. They never knew that that baby would then go down through the centuries, right? Yeah. That there would be a baby born that mm-hmm. would save the world that would come yeah. through that boy's mm-hmm. lineage. I mean, they didn't yeah. know that. No. Peter died not knowing that people would mm-hmm. read his words, thousands and millions of people, you know? So it was encouraging to me to say, okay, can I keep going without seeing the fruit? Yeah. Knowing full well that the promise is that mm. something is being reaped and it's much bigger than I can even see. I can live with that. My husband, Eric, and I, we have two kids. Our daughter, Edie, is 12 and our son is nine. And I mean, all they've known is Jesus. We spend every Sunday at church. (laughs) We're there more than Sundays. And, you know, that's a conversation we have over and over about, you know, why do we serve? Why do we love Jesus? Like, you know, having an open conversation of this is what I hope for you. This is what I want. I would love for you to love Jesus for the rest of your life. But I know that is your decision. So that's the challenge, is, you know, of any parent or anyone you just love in your life. If yes. we could have control over their hearts, right? <laughs> and Jesus says over and over again, I yeah. will, right? Yeah. Ezekiel and Isaiah, he says this over and over again, I will change their stony hearts. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, mm-hmm. let me have the heart, God. You can't handle it. You know, I need to handle yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that, hard. It's, it's that choice. I, I mean, everyone deals with control issues, but yeah, just <laughs> releasing your, your children, especially as they go through 
their life, you know, with your kids, 32, 30 and 29, did you say? Yeah. I mean, it's this continual release. I think I heard someone say this the other day of just when maybe it was you on your podcast. It was like, as we birth, like there's going to be pain in childbirth, like as really, that's a a problem. We're going to just release this pain over and over Over and And, you know, that's hard, but I think that's the reality of one living in this world. We are in this upside down kingdom and we have to learn these values of release and and releasing those we love into God's hands. And it is nothing by our own doing. So no, and love is painful. I mean, Mm -hmm. this, this, what we're talking about is loving deeply because letting go and letting people be free um, to make choices, even choices we don't want them to make. Right. Mm -hmm. That is extremely painful. But the reason it's so painful is because we deeply love. Mm-hmm. And I, I would choose to deeply love than to reserve my love and be free of the ache in my soul. Mm-hmm. Although there have been a few times I've said, sometimes I wished I was never a mother because it's so yeah. painful. Yeah. And totally beautiful. Hear mm-hmm. me? Yeah. But, oof, it's the only thing I ever even think I worry about. I'm not yeah. a worrier, but oof. Mm-hmm. Would you say that some of the reasoning behind not wanting to be a mother, was that from childhood? Or is that just like a feeling that you've just had your whole life? You're like, I just didn't feel like that was my direction. Yeah. I think, I do think some women just Mm -hmm. aren't wired for mothering. Mm -hmm. And I more, I mean, I had an excellent mother. I had Mm -hmm. a fabulous mother, but I was nothing like her. And Mm -hmm. so if that's what mothering looked like, I was in trouble because I wasn't going to be that kind of mother, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I think I just probably personality wise, one time my husband and I were in hanging out with a bunch of Christian friends and mm-hmm. the question came up, if you were going to do one thing over again differently, mm-hmm. what would you do? And my husband and I had never said it to each other, but almost simultaneously we said, we wouldn't have children. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in the evangelical world, you're not allowed to say that because what kind of an awful woman are you? And I was like, no, I didn't say I was going to kill my kids. I'm just saying I... Could have lived without children, you know? Yeah. And by the way, I've said this publicly. My kids have all heard it. They know. Um, I'm keeping them. I think they're magnificent human yeah. beings. And yeah. in fact, over the holidays, we all flew to Mexico together. And mm. I was able to sit at the table one night and say to my kids mm. and my husband, I want you to know that not only have I been loved, I have mm. been extravagantly loved mm. by my husband and my children. So, you know, I'll keep them. Uh, Well, I mean, it's just funny how God uses all of these things in our life of what we say, you know what? No, this is not what I want, not what I imagine. I I would say the same thing for like my husband. Like I had a list going of everything I imagined my husband to be or he wasn't going to be like. And God was just like, thank you for that. But that's... That's not how it's going to work. And yeah, so that's exactly right. You know, he just works in, in a way that is shocking. I mean, we look at the stories of the Bible. I mean, there's some shocking stuff in there. So there's shocking stuff in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I used to chuckle because, you know, coming from the outside world, meaning not mm-hmm. a Christian background, mm-hmm. and then, you know, being inundated quickly in the Christian culture. I was always shocked that people let their kids read the Bible. Like they were all careful about whether the three or four year old or six year old could go watch this TV show or whatever. Sure. And I was like, Harry oh Potter. my God, they should not be reading the Bible. There's rape, murder, and pillage in there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Woo! <laughs> oh my yeah, god! Because I could see it that way because I wasn't raised with all those Christian stories with the flannel graph that were really pretty. I'm yeah. reading it going, oh my gosh, you know, a yeah. whole village was burned. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I want to swing back to something that I shared, yeah. which was I asked my kids, did mm-hmm. they feel this way? And I, I've got to read this letter that my son Hampton, who's now 30, sent to me because it's beautiful. And yeah. every once in a while, mama just has to do something to say, yay, look at my kids. Yeah. But, um, here's what he said. He said, ma, he always calls me that, ma, ma, I know the other day you said you wondered if you did your children right by raising mm. them in the church. And I want you to know that I honestly believe that you raised me, Hunter and Maddie better than anyone I know. Your children have a passion for those in need, whether it's for helping an illegal immigrant to pass a driver's test Mm -hmm. or Hunter spending three months as an 18-year-old helping people connect in the DRC to internet in order to have better lives. Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, my calling is to help others. Now, are these character traits something that could have grown outside the church? Maybe. I don't really know. I think there are many people who love others who are not Christians or Muslims or Buddhists or Jewish or anything else. But I think to all the people I know, and of those people, the number of them living for others is very small. You have raised kids who do. You didn't just raise us in the church. You raised us to be free thinkers, to love the world, and to see it outside the white middle class lens that everyone else I know sees it by. Are these things because of the church? Maybe some of it is. But I think a lot of it comes from who you and dad are as people. And the church has made you who you are. Could we be kind, loving people who never stepped a foot in a church? Of course. Could we care for others without being raised in the church? Of course. But to me, it seems like a much smaller chance, not solely because of church, but because of whom the church has made you and dad to be. So do I regret growing up in the church? No. Do I know if I believe in God? No. But I do not think the church has in any way hindered us to be great people. If anything, it has opened our minds and hearts, and if nothing more, set a moral code that is good. Mm -hmm. Even if God turns out to be fake and it's all bogus, I would rather live my life for other people than myself. Mm -hmm. What a wasted, sad life that would be to care only for money and personal gain. I love you, Mom. And -hmm. please, never question again if you did it right. You did. What did and you feel? Yeah. Oh, oh, the same thing you're feeling right now. <laughs> and everybody listening is going, I want a letter like that from my yeah. kid, right? Yeah. It was just whew, uh, to be extravagantly loved, to mm-hmm. have my giving affirmed, to know mm-hmm. that the sacrifice mattered. And what I do want to say to everybody listening is I recognize not everybody's going to get that from their children. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. But what I do want to say is that I think we get it from Jesus. Yeah. We hear those words from Jesus, mm-hmm. even when our own kids, our grown kids don't give them to us. He sees what we do and it matters. He says we're going to have fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, even if we can't see it. And I, I want to be mindful of that because I was lucky to mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. I'm not just relying on my children. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually more relying on God to say, yeah. it's okay. I got you. This matters. Yeah. I have some verses here that I love. Apostle Paul When we grow weary and lose heart, he says, so dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Mm -hmm. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And 1 Peter is one of my favorites that saved me going through raising kids, by the way. 1-7, where Peter reminds us that faithfulness is more precious than gold. And he Mm -hmm. seems to suggest... It almost sounds blasphemy, but he seems to suggest that Jesus is going to honor and give us glory, 
not for how well our kids turn out, yeah. but whether we're faithful with what yeah. has been given, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I want to finish with the prophets that I use. Prophet Isaiah 49, I started with that. My work yeah. all seems useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. But here's how he ends it. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hands. I will trust God for my reward. And that's where I sit. It's a parable of my life, but literally God used this parable to like say, Jackie, it matters. It does matter, Jackie. For those people that are listening that are asking the question for themselves, like, does what I give my life to matter? How would you encourage them practically? What are some things that they could work on, think about, think through to help them through processing? Does this matter? How do I draw closer to Jesus through this time? Well, those are two big questions. (laughs) (laughs) How do I draw closer to Jesus during this time? (laughs) You know, if you feel that way, just a a couple short answers. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important to remember what scripture says, because these stories in scripture are our stories. They're human Mm. stories. They're they're humanity's stories. And I, I have actually literally held on to multiple times the idea that there is something I have put into this earth created in this earth that will go forward on behalf of Jesus, and I probably will never see it. And that gives me hope. There's hope in that when you feel discouraged, right? I'd also say, look for the little golden nuggets that perhaps the Lord Mm -hmm. is showing you all the time that you're not seeing. And for many women, it's usually because we're too busy. We're running Mm -hmm. fast. And I get it. Like, I'm not running as fast as I used to. I don't have to run that fast anymore. It's hard to see. I always tell Jesus, I just need to see your fingerprint. Yeah. So I know you're present. You know what I mean? Like, are you there? Are, you know, like a word from someone, a dog that smiles. I don't know. You know, like, show me that there's, you know, something good in this. And and I believe when we ask God for the ability to see his goodness in our life, he shows us. But I will say this. I think it's important to, like, let God decide which field he has us in. So, like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes the field is 30-fold, which, by the way, is still an astronomical amount. But we're frustrated that we aren't in the 100 field. Yeah. Field, right? <laughs> oh, no, I want to be over I should be doing something grand. And, yeah. and, and then a lot of times I've even seen women, particularly, where they're actually in the 100-fold, but they're so afraid to live yeah. boldly in it mm-hmm. and just reap every ounce of that. Mm-hmm. Because they're supposed to, they're, they're in their mind, they think they need to be small. So what field are you in? And can you be grateful for the fact that it's it's an astronomical amount of fruit that you are bearing there yeah. um, instead of trying to be in a field you're not in, mm-hmm. you know? So those are a couple of things. How do you draw near to Jesus? Well, of course, I think reading the scriptures is helpful. I think it can also frustrate a lot of people because they don't know where to start. But yeah. start in Luke. Luke is a great place for women to be in. And I would stay where Jesus is in the gospel. You know, because you can, you can watch him, like watch Mm -hmm. him envision where he Mm. is and what's going on and how does he sound? And is he rolling his eyes and what does he smell like? Use your imagination with scripture and then just trust that the spirit actually is with you and Mm -hmm. speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't hear, know that God is with you. And Mm -hmm. there is something profound if you can sit in that, that really can hold us in these spaces where we feel like we haven't accomplished anything Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. was a failure. That's really good, Jackie. I mean, you've spent a significant portion of your life in ministry. How did the Marcella Project come to fruition? Like, how did that become a passion for you? Was that over time or is that something that has been building? 
Well, I think everything builds, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think when I came to ministry, I was in a Bible study with women and I loved learning from a woman. And I mm -hmm. remember thinking, I was in seminary with amazing, amazing male profs. But when this woman spoke, somehow the scripture yeah. tied into my female experience. And I was like, whoa, this is a yeah. whole, like, this is Jesus talking to me. Mm -hmm. Like, how does he know this is happening? She's, somebody's got a camera in my apartment and is tech giving it to this Bible teacher lady. And she's like, here's what you're doing in your apartment with your children. I'm like, oh my God, how does she know? And so that was just life transforming for me. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. And what mm -hmm. I meant was I want to be able to yeah. understand the Bible and be able mm -hmm. to understand how that intersects with a woman's life today. And so I ended up pastoring on a staff. I was the teaching pastor to women of a mega church in Texas for mm -hmm. a long period of time. And my husband was also on staff. And at that time, I was still traveling on the weekends and doing women's conferences and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when I became the first female preacher at that church, it's a 45-year-old church. It's seeped in Dallas Theological Seminary roots. And so that was very unusual to have a woman preach. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, as I got on staff and got in those environments, I kept tripping against what I call invisible gender lines, where I would say something in a staff meeting and, and I would say it the exact same way the guys were saying it. I was saying it my New York way. And people were like, ooh, is she allowed? You know, like that whole thing. And I just had to keep going, what on earth is happening? I mean, that's what I said like over and over again. What, what is happening here? Yeah. You know? And so I, I spent 15 years chasing mm -hmm what was going on in the evangelical world mm -hmm. with this idea of who women are and who men are and mm -hmm. these categories, really, really strong categories we have. And I realized, oh, I'm bumping up against them. And this mm -hmm. is actually hindering my ability to yeah. uh, work in the field God has given me fully mm -hmm. and well. And by the way, it was hindering our relationship with men on the staff. I don't think yeah. they were actually flourishing in their field either. Yeah. So it was like, how are we going to do this together? So we mm -hmm. went through years of that. And then after we left the church, I just basically decided I'm going to do a whole ministry based on this. Mm. I'm, I want to get behind women and I want uh, particularly outliers in the sense of um, I have a lot of women in Marcella that might be like CFOs or district attorneys or stay at home moms like I was and that just feel like they, I, I, I say it's a color, like we, we have a light pink color for women in the evangelical church. And people like me who are lime green don't know how to fit in, you know, and exactly. I keep saying yeah. God is every color mm -hmm. and every shade of color. And in mm -hmm. order to see all of who God is, we need to be the color and even mm -hmm. the shade of color that God made us and not try to conform to some kind of ideal. And so I really wanted to help women see there was a biblical foundation mm. for that to happen, for them to, that Jesus is so okay with who they are, so okay with them being who they are. And scripture tells us to like pull up at the table and give mm -hmm. everything we've got on behalf mm -hmm. of him. So yeah. how do I do that? You know? Yeah. So I started doing a lot of writing. I'm going to get a cord. And teaching and uh, hosting salons that tried to help women think more critically about their theology um, because I felt like a lot of women were just whatever their pastor said was true and and they needed to think about that. Is it really true what he's telling you? You know, are all women <laughs> like pink? So yeah, so I you know just started doing that and I've done that for 12 years and I'd say the last maybe two years I felt like I wanted to start working more and more with women who minister. And I use that really loosely because a lot of women who minister don't even see themselves as ministers. Yeah. They don't get paid. They don't have staff position. They may be volunteers, but they're bumping into the same things I was bumping mm -hmm. into. And I want to say to them, I want to give them language 
for what mm-hmm. they're experiencing. Yeah. I want to help them navigate how to how to love their brothers and collaborate with their brothers. Mm-hmm. And I want them to know they're not alone. I'm in your corner. I will cheer you on the whole way. You are not weird. You are not alone. You're not abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want them to stay in the game. I want them yeah. to stay in the game on behalf of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So well, first of all, thank you, Jackie, for just laying this foundation and just going ahead of so many women. I have the honor of being able to teach at our church, and I've always had a safe space there. But it was really those invisible gender lines that I had to work through personally, right. just growing up in an evangelical church. It was all in my head. You know, I was putting restrictions on myself that nobody else was. So I'd love for you to kind of speak into what are some of those in visible gender lines that we can be aware of, again, so that we can support each other as brothers and sisters. What are a couple that we're just like so unaware of? So you named one, actually. You said there's internal obstacles. So Mm -hmm. we have external obstacles, and then we have internal obstacles also. And one of the biggest for women is that we are actually trained from the time we're 10 years old to literally get smaller. So there's a massive study out there done by Vaughn out of Canada, and it's the biggest study of women's develop- girls' development. And she just says, by the time you hit the tween age, we start asking women, girls, to change how they talk, mm-hmm. to get quieter, to say less. They actually mm-hmm. learn in school that they're not being heard as much. We actually change a girl's clothing by that time, right? She starts wearing uh, skirts. She starts wearing higher heels. Well, yeah. you can't run. You can't climb trees. You can't. So literally, we, we teach her to cross her legs, right? So mm-hmm. we literally are training women to get smaller. So put faith in that. If you have any kind of faith restrictions or limitations on women, that just affirms the message internally in us to stay small. Mm-hmm. Don't risk. Don't assume you should be here at the table. Don't ask for a raise. Don't ask for that title. I mean, we wouldn't, we don't ask and men ask, apply for the promotion, you know, like women, uh, there's a book called the confidence code and it's a sociologist who wrote it Two female sociologists. It's excellent. And they talk about why the majority of American women struggle with confidence. And they Mm -hmm. make the argument that confidence is as important to your success in your vocation as competency. And confidence means like, and women, their internal obstacle says, don't, oh, you're not hundred percent perfect. You can't apply for that promotion because you don't check all 10 of the boxes. Whereas a man, and they've done studies on this, will take, will, will apply if he hits seven of the boxes yeah. or six. So we have, as women, we have internal obstacles that tell us to stay small. And then like an external obstacle could be seriously, just the assertiveness would be a, a really easy one that most people would recognize. If, if a woman happens to be assertive, and, and I'm not talking about coming in to a room and saying, hear me roar, I am woman. I'm not talking about that. That is not how Jesus walks in the room. It's not how we're to walk in the room. Mm-hmm. But if by nature, a woman is assertive, in particularly conservative evangelical worlds, it can feel very threatening because mm-hmm. you've been taught that she's trying to usurp authority, that mm-hmm. she's not staying in line with her rules, yeah. uh, that she's not being quiet in spirit. Although I know people quote First Peter for women to be quiet. And then I think, well, 
one of the fruits of the spirit <laughs> is gentle and quiet, is gentleness. So, you know, I mean, um, it's not a female characteristic. Yeah. So I would say that's, you know, that's just one of many. Mm-hmm. And, and women, like you mentioned, we are experiencing them when we mm-hmm. work in the church or any kind of faith organization. But if somebody doesn't talk to us, we don't know exactly what we're experiencing. I don't want women to waste 10 to 15 years trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's happening to them like I did. Because it turns out people knew. This okay. this has been recorded before. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to keep birthing the same intellectual body of work. We need to be mm-hmm. building off the shoulders of mm. people's intellectual bodies of work and taking yeah. it to the next level. I don't want women to have to waste the time researching. Why am I experiencing this? What is this I'm experiencing? And how do I navigate it? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jackie, has been one of the most profound things after, you know, working with the Marcello project that you have just been like, wow, this has really impacted me. I guess I didn't expect this to happen. That has maybe really touched your heart. Well, I think much of what I've seen in Marcella, I also had the opportunity of seeing it in mm-hmm. my church work though. And this is probably more personal than it is like the ministry itself. I think I have been surprised at how much I have enjoyed my ministry getting smaller. I had thousands of people I ministered to, you know, And I would go to a restaurant and someone would say, oh, I know who you are. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. (laughs) You see me from the pulpit, but you don't, you know. And so it was and and I was kept at bay. And that is just not good for the soul. Mm -hmm. It's not it wasn't good for my soul. And so I have loved surprisingly, I have loved showing up and doing a Bible study for 20 people. And I used to do a Bible study for a thousand Mm -hmm. women. And I think I prefer the 20. It's just been fun to sit with women and be a part and not set apart and to know people on a much more deeper depth. That surprised me. Yeah, I see that in my life as well. Just wanting to, like just even having a party of people over and you're like, well, we had a bunch of people here, but really nobody had a deeper conversation. And that's really my heartbeat is just really getting to know people well, sharing authentic relationships with each other. It's just so good. So I'm so glad that was something that came out of that. Jackie, thank you. I love your bluntness. I love your sarcasm. I loved it so much. And I appreciate how you just connected us back to that parable story and how it really impacts and shapes our life and helping us know like our life matters. Jackie, thank you so much for being on the Parable Podcast today. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you found some encouragement because I suspect some of you, like me, have asked that question. You know, is what I'm giving my life to matter. It doesn't matter at all. Sometimes we can't see it. And yet what I think Jesus is telling us in this parable that we just walked through is yes, yes, indeed, it matters. Um, I'm going to list on this podcast all the information you need to hop on over to Danielle's website to listen in on some of her other parable podcasts with other people and just engage with her because she's well worth it. Um, Have a great day. You matter. This matters. What you do, it really matters. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.